Happy Friday, everyone. I'm really excited to bring this episode today. Um, I've been trying to get this out for a, quite a while, and I'm glad to see it finally be posted. Um, it is the uh, an op-ed for the Revelator News. It is called Urban Ecology, A Bright Future for Sustainable Cities. And what this op-ed is, is it's it's the wallpaper for my professional inspiration. This is basically my thesis. It's what is the trigger point for my excitement around um, bringing nature into the city. Um, so if I was to really boil it down, I would say that the trend lines, um, like the accomplishments that we've had um, with sustainable initiatives in our cities, I think has gone to the momentum point where it's going to happen inevitably and it's getting um, it's definitely has a snowball effect on um, greening in our cities and all kinds of sustainable initiatives so I'm very happy to see that kind of stuff going forward and I know that's not happening fast enough and it's not in all cities all over the world but there's a lot of good stuff happening and I think at this point it's unstoppable and it's doesn't not going to take one person to really you know be the light and be up there and like be the inspiration to push us. I think that it's the only way forward to for cities to actually sustain themselves. So those initiatives, those green initiatives, I think are going to just come in um, regardless. And to me, that's really exciting. And then the other point, um, you know, just to boil it all down is that I just recognize that what we're doing with all these high rises is that we're increasing the surface area of the earth. And as we do that, we also have the potential to increase the habitat um, on this earth. So it's not necessarily what we're going to do, but it's a choice that we have. And if we use our imagination, it's the difference between a concrete dystopia and um, a green paradise. So I want to start um, to read the op-ed to you guys, and I'd appreciate any feedback as always. So here we go. Urban Ecology, A Bright Future for Sustainable Cities. People often think of urban landscapes as concrete dystopias, but the future may reside in cities that can sustain both people and nature. As much as we love and need nature, the human population is growing and moving to cities. In 1950, just 30% of the world's population was urban, but that population is projected to rise to 68% by 250. This phenomenon is giving rise to megacities, cities with populations of 10 million people or more. In 1990, there were only 10 megacities, but by 2030, there's expected to be 41, and 90% of this growth is occurring in Asia and Africa. The rapid rate of urbanization combined with the overall growth of the world's population will challenge our social systems, the way we manage natural resources, and the way we organize and build our cities. The question is, will the impact be negative or positive? The general perception is negative. But as someone who special specializes in urban ecology, I'm optimistic, and here's why. Urban areas have a bad rep when it comes to their relationship with the environment, and so much so that people generally consider cities to be the exact opposite of nature. And this isn't without good reasoning. Since the Industrial Revolution, cities have been a place of concrete, glass, factories, and office buildings. The first step in creating a new air urban area was, and often still is, to remove all the natural environment features to make way for our rigid lines of zoning. But that perception of urban life is changing. 
Over the past 50 years, environmental awareness has become more mainstream. From the first Earth Day in 1970 and the creation of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, to the rise of environmental advocates like Rachel Carlson, David Suzuki, Sylvia Earle, and David Attenborough, much has been done to educate and engage the greater public. In turn, we've been able to see cities in a new light. Cities have been adopted policies to incentivize lead building certifications, urban forestry, brown field site regulations, renewable energy, natural heritage, carbon offsetting, floodplain development restrictions, reduction of air pollutant output, stormwater management, open space provisions in, in development, and most recently, green roofs. These policies have led to greener, healthier cities that are more enjoyable to live in, With the implementation of these changes, we see fewer lawns and more tree plantings, fewer concrete channels and more naturalized watercourses, fewer water discharges and uh, more constructed wetlands, fewer shingles and more green roofs and more LEED certified buildings. And it's not just the public sector that's squeezing industries that go green. So is the private market. The demand from investors and residents to have access to parks, green buildings, and healthy li- and a healthy living environment has created a lucrative market. According to the National Real Estate Investor, renters are willing to pay an extra $27.21 a month to live in um, buildings that have green certifications. That works out to more than $300 a year per apartment that are um, that they can earn an extra income. Planting trees alone has demonstrated to raise property value from 5 to 18% in the United States. And Roger Platt, the former president of the U.S. Green Building Council, has pointed out that investors now require green buildings as an international benchmark for their global portfolios. These government initiatives and the private market's demand, coupled with technological advancements, are pushing for a new potential of cities. If governments and private market demand catch up and keep up with the rate of urbanization, we may just see our cities turn from concrete jungles to green paradises. Singapore is a shining example of how this could be accomplished. Between 1986 and 2007, the Singapore population grew by 68%, yet green cover grew from 35% to 46.5%. Certified green buildings account for more than a fifth of the floor area um, in the island state, and aims to they aim to achieve 35% reduction in the energy intensity of its economy by 2030 and have 80% green buildings. By, by amplifying the blueprint of Singapore and other cities' initiatives and bringing these models to the cities of developing nations, plant and animal communities may not only be able to survive but thrive alongside us. If this is achieved, it will be not as the result of limiting our abilities to develop as a natural economic path, um, but to, it to, it will be to um, ensure that our cities stay livable. Green roofs, urban forestry, green buildings, stormwater ponds, bioswales, living walls, parks, meadows, and benches will never, or beaches will never replace the structure, quality, and complexity of the ecosystems that existed before urbanization. But research has demonstrated the ability for cities to support significant levels of biodiversity is possible. As noted, although cities, uh, this is by a um, a research um, article that I'm uh, quoting, although cities are centers of consumption 
and land use change, they represent a considerable opportunity for forward global sustainability and environmental goals. For example, cities are at the forefront in planning for climate change adaption and mitigation, and research into urban ecosystem dynamics are revealing the potential for managing local and large-scale environmental change. In recognizing these limitations of, of urban ecology, there's several, several metrics that warrant optimism. For example, leaf surface area. As buildings get taller and possibly more infused with vegetation, leaf surface area may equal or exceed what's estimated to have been present in the ecosystem that existed before disturbance on the site. And to me, this is an incredibly exciting prospect as it could create a net gain of ecological services. The Boscal Vertical in Milan, Italy, is a good precedent for buildings that are for a building that has succeed, succeeded in accommodating vegetation. This development has inspired a new generation of vegetation-infused buildings. Species diversity is another possible optimistic metric. As we manipulate plant communities, communities that we both use, we have the ability to tweak those communities based on scientific recommendation to help support mo more diversity in biotic communities. A short communication by Vir Virginia Institute and State University on promoting and pres preserving biodiversity in the urban forest notes. As our world becomes more and more urbanized, the urban forest will increasingly become an important reserve of biodiversity. We need to the rec to recognize the potential of urban areas to contain important an amounts of biodiversity and work to promote that diversity. Species preservation is also a key potential product of urban ecology. We must remember that ginkgo biloba went extinct in the wild but was able to survive due to human intervention. These, this could be expanded to species beyond trees with monitoring, habitat creation, and protection. Other metrics may include greater volume of habitat, increased transpiration rates, um, transpiration rates, sorry, and increased biomass mass production, which could be achieved via vertical development. The key benefit from vertical development's ability to create more surface area with the potential to generate more ecological productivity. So will we allow cities to turn into concrete dystopias or will we create the green paradises that we deserve? By embracing urban ecology in the form of green infrastructure and biophilic design, we are allow ourselves to work with nature, not against it. We've always, we're always learning about the benefits that natural features bring, bring to the uh, built environment, but we're also learning more about plants and animals. Can we tailor the built environment to their needs? Can we couple our need of natural services with the need of native ecosystems? Can we generate a net gain of ecological productivity? Sustainability is the only way forward, and that's why I'm excited about the future of cities for people, plants, and animals. I'm grateful for all the unsung heroes who have created a foundation for green cities through science education implementation. I'm encouraged to be playing a part in facilitating it by working with governments, developers, architects, and builders to implement green infrastructure and create green strategies. The future of urban ecology is not dark, but bright. And if you want to let me know what you think about this, you can go to my Twitter at, at jungle underscore capital or Instagram jungle underscore capital and provide some feedback. I'd very much appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed and have an excellent weekend.
Happy Friday, everyone. I'm really excited to bring this episode today. Um, I've been trying to get this out for a, quite a while, and I'm glad to see it finally be posted. Um, it is the uh, an op-ed for the Revelator News. It is called Urban Ecology, A Bright Future for Sustainable Cities. And what this op-ed is, is it's it's the wallpaper for my professional inspiration. This is basically my thesis. It's what is the trigger point for my excitement around um, bringing nature into the city. Um, so if I was to really boil it down, I would say that the trend lines, um, like the accomplishments that we've had um, with sustainable initiatives in our cities, I think has gone to the momentum point where it's going to happen inevitably and it's getting um it's definitely has a snowball effect on um greening in our cities and all kinds of sustainable initiatives so i'm very happy to see that kind of stuff going forward and i know that's not happening fast enough and it's not in all cities all over the world but there's a lot of good stuff happening and i think at this point it's unstoppable and it's doesn't not going to take one person to really you know be the light and be up there and like be the inspiration to push us. I think that it's the only way forward to for cities to actually sustain themselves. So those initiatives, those green initiatives, I think are going to just come in at, um, regardless. And to me, that's really exciting. And then the other point, um, you know, just to boil it all down, is that I just recognize that what we're doing with all these high rises is that we're increasing the surface area of the earth. And as we do that, we also have the potential to increase the habitat um, on this earth. So it's not necessarily what we're going to do, but it's a choice that we have. And if we use our imagination, it's the difference between a concrete dystopia and um, a green paradise. So I want to start um, to read the op-ed to you guys, and I'd appreciate any feedback as always. So here we go. Urban Ecology, A Bright Future for Sustainable Cities. People often think of urban landscapes as concrete dystopias, but the future may reside in cities that can sustain both people and nature. As much as we love and need nature, the human population is growing and moving to cities. In 1950, just 30% of the world's population was urban, but that population is projected to rise to 68% by 250. This phenomenon is giving rise to megacities, cities with populations of 10 million people or more. In 1990, there were only 10 megacities, but by 2030, there's expected to be 41, and 90% of this growth is occurring in Asia and Africa. The rapid rate of urbanization combined with the overall growth of the world's population will challenge our social systems, the way we manage natural resources, and the way we organize and build our cities. The question is, will the impact be negative or positive? The general perception is negative. But as someone who specializes in urban ecology, I'm optimistic, and here's why. Urban areas have a bad rep when it comes to their relationship with the environment, and so much so that people generally consider cities to be the exact opposite of nature. And this isn't without good reasoning. Since the Industrial Revolution, cities have been a place of concrete, glass, factories, and office buildings. The first step in creating a new air urban area was, and often still is, to remove all the natural environment features to make way for our rigid lines of zoning. But that perception of urban life is changing. 
Over the past 50 years, environmental awareness has become more mainstream. From the first Earth Day in 1970 and the creation of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, to the rise of environmental advocates like Rachel Carlson, David Suzuki, Sylvia Earle, and David Attenborough, much has been done to educate and engage the greater public. In turn, we've been able to see cities in a new light. Cities have been adopted policies to incentivize lead building certifications, urban forestry, brown field site regulations, renewable energy, natural heritage, carbon offsetting, floodplain development restrictions, reduction of air pollutant output, stormwater management, open space provisions in, in development, and most recently, green roofs. These policies have led to greener, healthier cities that are more enjoyable to live in, With the implementation of these changes, we see fewer lawns and more tree plantings, fewer concrete channels and more naturalized watercourses, fewer water discharges and uh, more constructed wetlands, fewer shingles and more green roofs and more LEED certified buildings. And it's not just the public sector that's squeezing industries that go green. So is the private market. The demand from investors and residents to have access to parks, green buildings, and healthy li- and a healthy living environment has created a lucrative market. According to the National Real Estate Investor, renters are willing to pay an extra $27.21 a month to live in um, buildings that have green certifications. That works out to more than $300 a year per apartment that, are, um, that they can earn an extra income. Planting trees alone has demonstrated to raise property value from 5 to 18% in the United States. And Roger Platt, the former president of the U.S. Green Building Council, has pointed out that investors now require green buildings as an international benchmark for their global portfolios. These government initiatives and the private market's demand, coupled with technological advancements, are pushing for a new potential of cities. If governments and private market demand catch up and keep up with the rate of urbanization, we may just see our cities turn from concrete jungles to green paradises. Singapore is a shining example of how this could be accomplished. Between 1986 and 2007, the Singapore population grew by 68%, yet green cover grew from 35% to 46.5%. Certified green buildings account for more than a fifth of the floor area um, in the island state, and aims to they aim to achieve 35% reduction in the energy intensity of its economy by 2030 and have 80% green buildings. By, by amplifying the blueprint of Singapore and other cities' initiatives and bringing these models to the cities of developing nations, plant and animal communities may not only be able to survive but thrive alongside us. If this is achieved, it will be not as the result of limiting our abilities to develop as a natural economic path, um, but to, it to, it will be to um, ensure that our cities stay livable. Green roofs, urban forestry, green buildings, stormwater ponds, bioswales, living walls, parks, meadows, and benches will never, or beaches will never replace the structure, quality, and complexity of the ecosystems that existed before urbanization. But research has demonstrated the ability for cities to support significant levels of biodiversity is possible. As noted, although cities, oh, this is by a, um, a research um, article that I'm uh, quoting, although cities are centers of consumption 
and land use change, they represent a considerable opportunity for forward global sustainability and environmental goals. For example, cities are at the forefront in planning for climate change adaption and mitigation, and research into urban ecosystem dynamics are revealing the potential for managing local and large-scale environmental change. In recognizing these limitations of, of urban ecology, there's several, several metrics that warrant optimism. For example, leaf surface area. As buildings get taller and possibly more infused with vegetation, leaf surface area may equal or exceed what's estimated to have been present in the ecosystem that existed before disturbance on the site. And to me, this is an incredibly exciting prospect as it could create a net gain of ecological services. The Boscal vertical in Milan, Italy, is a good precedent for buildings that are for a building that has succeed, succeeded in accommodating vegetation. This development has inspired a new generation of vegetation-infused buildings. Species diversity is another possible optimistic metric. As we manipulate plant communities, communities that we both use, we have the ability to tweak those communities based on scientific recommendation to help support mo more diversity in biotic communities. A short communication by Vir Virginia Institute and State University on promoting and pres preserving biodiversity in the urban forest notes. As our world becomes more and more urbanized, the urban forest will increasingly become an important reserve of biodiversity. We need to the rec to recognize the potential of urban areas to contain important amounts of biodiversity and work to promote that diversity. Species preservation is also a key potential product of urban ecology. We must remember that ginkgo biloba went extinct in the wild but was able to survive due to human intervention. These, this could be expanded to species beyond trees with monitoring, habitat creation, and protection. Other metrics may include greater volume of habitat, increased transpiration rates, um, transpiration rates, sorry, and increased biomass mass production, which could be achieved via vertical development. The key benefit from vertical development's ability to create more surface area with the potential to generate more ecological productivity. So will we allow cities to turn into concrete dystopias or will we create the green paradises that we deserve? By embracing urban ecology in the form of green infrastructure and biophilic design, we are allow ourselves to work with nature, not against it. We've always, we're always learning about the benefits that natural features bring, bring to the uh, built environment, but we're also learning more about plants and animals. Can we tailor the built environment to their needs? Can we couple our need of natural services with the need of native ecosystems? Can we generate a net gain of ecological productivity? Sustainability is the only way forward, and that's why I'm excited about the future of cities for people, plants, and animals. I'm grateful for all the unsung heroes who have created a foundation for green cities through science education implementation. I'm encouraged to be playing a part in facilitating it by working with governments, developers, architects, and builders to implement green infrastructure and create green strategies. The future of urban ecology is not dark, but bright. And if you want to let me know what you think about this, you can go to my Twitter at, at jungle underscore capital or Instagram jungle underscore capital and provide some feedback. I'd very much appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed and have an excellent weekend.